We're in class with Jose. He's a 21-year-old college student in Minnesota. And right now, he's in his computer and human interaction class. Jose's in the U.S. legally, but a lawyer suggested we use his middle name for this story so he isn't targeted by immigration officials. Jose is studying to be a software engineer. But if President Trump has his way, Jose won't be able to finish his degree. He won't even be able to stay in the country. He's not a DACA kid, but he's been protected by a legal status that's on the chopping block for hundreds of thousands of people. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. Our producer, Alex Baumhart, spent time with Jose this fall, and she brings us his story. A heads up, you're going to hear one swear word, and it comes from the president. What's the temperature right now? 14. It is currently 12 degrees, but with wind chill, it feels like 5 degrees. <laughs> Jose is giving a tour of his college campus to his mom and me. We left the Twin Cities to drive out here early one morning. I might be too, but I grew up here in Minnesota. So the cold never bothered me anyways. But it's... Jose is big, six feet tall with glasses. He's known around campus for his all-seasons wardrobe. I'm the one that likes cold, so I'm usually in uh, shorts or sandals. Jose was born in El Salvador, but he moved to Minnesota at 11 months old. He's always been interested in math and science. For high school, he enrolled in a science and technology magnet and competed in robotics tournaments. He had an internship at the tech and manufacturing company 3M. He's a junior in college now, studying software engineering. And that's when I ended up finding my friend group, which we have promptly named the Nerd Herd. But Jose doesn't even know if he'll get to graduate with the Nerd Herd. He was hoping to graduate by this time next year, but he doesn't know if he'll get to stay in the U.S. long enough to do that or to complete a dream of working at 3M one day. If the Trump administration has its way, Jose won't get to do any of that. But before we go into why Jose is running out of time, let's talk about how he got here. El Salvador. Its primeval beauty is alluring but deceptive. For more than a decade, El Salvador was embroiled in a civil war between a right-wing military government and a leftist opposition movement. Throughout this land of lakes and volcanoes, a civil war has been raging since 1980, claiming the lives of more than 40,000 people. That is actor Martin Sheen's voice, and this doc is actually from 1985. More than 75,000 people ultimately died during the Civil War in El Salvador, which lasted from 1980 to 1992. Countless more disappeared and were displaced. The Carter and Reagan administrations involved the U.S. by supplying the Salvadoran military forces with weapons and training. Heavily armed police returned from making their rounds. There are countless instances of deaths and disappearances in which they have been found to have played a role. Yet they are armed with NATO weaponry, which the United States is continuing to supply. Those military forces were responsible for 85% of the killings, kidnappings, and torture that occurred during the war. That's according to a United Nations Truth Commission. Jose's mom was in her teens during the war. We'll call her by her middle name, Gloria. In her early 20s, near the end of the war, Gloria studied law in El Salvador. She also ran a small shop. 
A peace agreement had been reached between the leftists and the government, and she says everyone thought things would become more normal, less violent. But the opposite happened. Gloria says criminal gangs rose up. Her store was robbed many times at night. She graduated with her law degree and got work at a firm. But then a judge she knew was threatened with murder. Another lawyer she worked with was kidnapped. She didn't want that to happen to her. A family member in the U.S. said she should come north. I didn't think about it twice, she says. I said yes. And in the beginning, it was very difficult. In 1997, she and Jose left El Salvador for California. Gloria was 33. Jose was two months old. She bought tickets to fly to the U.S. on a tourist visa that they simply overstayed. She found work cleaning offices and houses. Then, in 1998, she moved to Minnesota, where she'd heard there was more work. Gloria cleaned and picked fruit and held a variety of other odd jobs. Then, in 2001, a window opened for her and Jose to be in the U.S. more legitimately. It was called Temporary Protected Status, or TPS. So temporary protected status is an executive function. This is Kara Lynham, an immigration attorney. The president can designate countries that either have had natural disasters or civil strife that anyone who's presently in the United States, as of the day the president declares this order, they are allowed to ask for temporary protected status, assume they otherwise qualify, you can't have three misdemeanors, there's other sorts of qualifications for it. Um, and it can be extended by the president um, kind of as long as the emergency exists in that country. TPS was created in 1990, and Salvadorans were the first to benefit from it. During the Civil War, many Salvadorans had come to the U.S. undocumented. Now that El Salvador was left in a shambles, it was the U.S. government's way of saying, you're safe here, it's too dangerous to send you back to the country you left. Then, in 2001, two huge earthquakes shook El Salvador, and then President George W. Bush opened applications for TPS again. That's when Gloria and Jose applied. TPS, at its most basic, offers protection from deportation and a work permit. And then with a work permit, in most states, you can get a driver's license. And then also with a work permit, you can get a social security number. With a work permit, Gloria was able to find more steady, better-paying jobs. She worked with a community outreach organization in the Twin Cities and eventually got a job as an at-home personal care assistant for the elderly, or a PCA. The decision to continue TPS falls to each president, but it's not a pathway to anything permanent. It's not a pathway to citizenship. It's renewable as long as the president um, extends it or redesignates it. Every administration, Republican and Democratic, has kept TPS going for Salvadorans since 2001. And it's been extended to people from nine other countries. The situation on the ground in El Salvador has not gotten better. Um, it's still incredibly dangerous. But earlier this year, President Donald Trump and the Department of Homeland Security announced they'd end TPS for the 260,000 Salvadorans that have it by September of 2019. The administration has also announced the end of TPS for tens of thousands of other people from several South American, African, and Asian countries. Right now, there are more than 300 college students in Minnesota on temporary protected status. El Salvador was the murder capital of the world for a long time. And, you know, it's a country experiencing incredible um, civil strife. 
to think about how the election in 2016 turned out and that El Salvador would suddenly be considered a safe country to return to, I don't think anyone could have predicted that. September 2019, when his TPS runs out, is three months before Jose would get his bachelor's degree. He'd be forced to leave the only country he knows for a country he knows only from stories. On a visit home from college, Jose and I watch as his mom makes pupusas. They're corn pancakes filled with meat or cheese. They're as common to Salvadorans as a hot dog is to most anyone growing up in the U.S. You like them with ketchup, don't you? Yeah, I do. I'm different, so sue me. Pupusas, the Spanish language, and his mom are about the only connection Jose has to El Salvador. He has no memory of the country, no desire to ever visit, and because he has TPS, he wouldn't be allowed to go there anyway, not without permission from the U.S. government. Temporary protected status never felt temporary to Gloria. To create normalcy in her family's life, she set down roots. She bought a car and a house that she's still paying off. In that home, she makes pupusas for everyone. She fed them to the foreign exchange students that lived with them throughout Jose's high school years, to the Brazilian woman who lived with them when she was getting away from an abusive husband, to the elderly patients she's visited every day for 15 years as a PCA. Gloria once stayed up all night to make 100 pupusas for Jose to sell to raise money for his Boy Scout troop. Today, she's also put out a spread of cheeses, jams, and pickled vegetables. Does this happen every time you come home? This happens every time. She sends me care packages. As Jose was growing up, Gloria put him in every camp, class, and club she could find. He was in summer school every year through middle school. She wanted him to be somewhere safe where he was learning. I never, I never had a summer. Despite what might seem like tough love, Jose knew she was looking out for him. They've always looked out for each other. When Gloria had surgery on both knees and was out of work for seven months, Jose took on her patients as a PCA. Over the years, many of those patients have become like family. One of Gloria's patients even asked them to be with him in the hospital as he passed away. Uh, his name was Bud. Mm-hmm. I knew him since I was like four. So he really was my grandfather, or like a grandfather to me. One of her patients even co-signed a bank loan for Jose to help pay for school. TPS doesn't confer citizenship or permanent resident status, so Gloria couldn't sign for the bank loan. I ask Gloria what her dreams were for her son when they came here. She says, what he's doing. I always thought of this for him, she says. Since he was little, he was very smart, and I said, you have to study. I studied. To have a better life. Here, I can't do much more. But he, he has no limits. Back in his college apartment, Jose and I talk in his room while his mom's in the kitchen. She's making lunch for us and his roommates. So any specific questions? Jose tells me he's facing another obstacle to graduation, the cost of tuition. Students on TPS don't qualify for federal student aid or loans. Jose says being on TPS didn't play a large role in his life until he went to college. Not until I started needing to apply for scholarships in college. It didn't really affect much. In the process of applying, was it? what did it feel like? Just like I, it's, it felt like so um, 
kind of like it was choking me because it kind of like... Jose has two more semesters to complete so he can graduate. But he pays his tuition almost entirely out of pocket because he can't access those federal loans and aid that other low-income students get. He gets some money from Minnesota's DREAM Act scholarship for DACA and TPS students. He looked for other scholarships, but the applications all asked the same question. Citizen or permanent resident? Nope. You're a citizen, permanent resident? Nope. He doesn't want to ask anyone else to co-sign another bank loan. But between his mom's wages as a PCA and his work part-time in the school's technology lab, they don't earn enough to make up the difference in tuition. I've, my mom's doing more job. I've worked more during the summer to hopefully make some money, and it's barely scraping by. Like, we've been in the red for the last like, few months now, and so there's a good chance I won't be coming back here next semester. They need to cover about $10,000 in payments to the school for him to stay enrolled next semester. He thinks he'll have to take a semester off to work and save as much as he can. But of course, like money, time is running Multiple out. Multiple times um, during my college life, um, I haven't been able to pay out tuition until maybe the day before the next semester started because we just didn't have the funds and had to scrounge everything we could. It's just not been easy. You want to check out the bookstore? We take a walk. There's more of the campus to see. Jose says hi to the buddies we pass. Hey, Ray. He bear hugs them. Hi, Miss Alice. Hi. Despite everything, Jose and his mom are optimistic. A judge in California recently issued an injunction to stop the Trump administration from ending TPS until a case against it is heard. The case argues that Trump's decision to end TPS was done with racial animus. The case cites several allegedly racist comments President Trump has made, not least of which was one at a meeting of legislators in January of 2018 to talk about TPS for Salvadorans, Haitians, and Hondurans. Trump asked, why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? Kara Lynham, the lawyer we heard from earlier, says that Jose's best bet is for Congress to pass legislation, allowing a pathway to something more permanent. She says it's the same thing many lawyers are hoping Congress will provide DACA recipients as well, an actual pathway towards citizenship. For now, Jose's future status in the U.S. is in the hands of federal courts, Congress, and the president. Short of getting married to a citizen, there's little he can do but wait. He says his college offered that they might be able to keep him on as a foreign exchange student should TPS end. But that doesn't solve the long-term challenge of staying in the U.S. It would be good because I would have my education. I would be able to find a good career somewhere else. But it would be bad because my mom and I lived here all our life. Like, this is all we have. Unless he pays this semester's tuition before January, he'll have to take a semester off. His school says it's allocated all its scholarship money for the year. A few of Jose's family members, both here and abroad, helped with tuition last semester, and they may be able to help again. But $10,000 is a lot to come up with. Jose is proceeding on the assumption that he always has, that he'll get to stay here in Minnesota, that he'll graduate from college sometime soon, go to graduate school, get that dream job at 3M. I asked if they had to think about lasts. We don't like to think of this, they say. We live our life as we're here, this is our home, we're just going to treat it as we're staying here. We don't like thinking of the end because that just makes it the pressure even more unbearable. We leave campus to crunch through the snow back to Jose's apartment. He has class soon, and he's conscious of the time.
That was APM Reports producer Alex Pumhart. She'll be following Jose and his family throughout the year, so stay tuned for more updates. If you have thoughts about Jose's story or ideas or a story of your own to share, please reach out. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, one word, or email us at contact at apmreports.org. Alex Baumhardt and Chris Julian produced the podcast. Mixing was done by John Miller. Special thanks to Max Nesterak and Sasha Eslanian for help with this episode. We partner with the Heckinger Report, which is a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.